and welcome to Buy Back The Block series, where we talk everything real estate and investment. We believe in empowering those in our communities to take pride in where they live and to share stories of journeys traveled in their successes. Every journey is unique, but also important as it provides an opportunity for those in the community to learn and progress through the experiences of others. There is infinite power that exists through collectively working together. In the studio today, we have a good friend of mine, Douglas Fokuo. He is a managing director of an estate agents and development house called Rika Properties. I've known him to be heavily involved in the HMO scene. And on a personal note, he's managed a number of my properties. Over the past decade, I've seen him go from strength to strength within the property world. And we're lucky to have him on the podcast today. We'll get an insight into how his business is run and how he operates. My first question to you would be, who are you? My name is um, Douglas Foker and I'm the founder of Weaker Property Management. Um, I'm also an equity trader for a FTSE 100 company as well. So not only do I do the trading, I also have my own property business with staff as well. Yeah. I always found it was important to have multiple income streams and that's always been embedded in me yeah yeah definitely so is it a case where i mean what did you start in start out in first was it property or was it trading or what was the situation i started off in trading first okay um i started working in the city from 1994 was when i got a job there i started working for a company called friends providence in the insurance section so i wasn't wasn't a trader then but that was my end goal i wanted to be in that environment um subsequently throughout the years i then had the opportunity to work for investment banks um i, I moved from the likes of northern trust to Socgen to dresner climate benson then i moved to money managers invesco um, and then i subsequently i've ended up at another investment bank in london where i'm now a trader so for 20 years i've traded and prior to that i was doing investment management Oh wow! So it seems like money's been around you for for a long time, or yeah, they... I've, been, I've been involved in that area, and the reason why property has come along, as because I've been fortunate enough to work in the city, I've been sort of educated via the city mm. in investment tools, and property was one that was always a, an interest of mine. Yeah. I think going back to when the buy to lets were first introduced in the late nineties. That's when I first got introduced, um, or not introduced, but interested in that uh, sector. Okay, okay. So um, you you say that uh, the city has basically been your been your main grounds for education. Um, so by way of education, I mean, what what what's your what's what's your background um, yeah. there? My background is I was educated in London. Yeah. Um, I'm the son of first generation Ghanaians who came right. to the UK in the late sixties. Um, so the focus for them was always a, a strong work, work ethic and education um, was their was their mantra. They always wanted me to study. If you had a good education, then you could move anywhere you wanted to do, anywhere you wanted to be in, in, in life. I feel that my education was more in the city than the academic side. Yeah. Although I went to um, secondary school, um, achieved GCSEs, and then got A-levels, went to college, I always felt 
that when I look back at my life, I feel that my education was more in the city than it was academically. Mm-hmm. I think working on the ground and picking up information from multiple places mm-hmm. and also speaking to people who you're surrounded with on a regular basis who have um, multiple um, skill sets mm-hmm. has helped me and I've basically sponged that information from them. And that's what's mm-hmm. helped me, I think, more than the education. Although, I, don't get me wrong, an education is, is vital. You do need to have a good, strong ground in yeah. maths, English, and, and can apply yourself. But I think there's no substitute for um, common sense, and that is, I think, is a real key asset to have if you want to work in in any environment. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, you, so uh, you, you rightly said you, a lot of your uh, learning was actually from the city, but um, prior to you actually um, going to the city, um, who, who, I mean, what was your main influences um, by way of um, individuals in your life? I mean, you yeah, I'm not, yeah, my main influences were my mum and dad. Your mum and dad, wow. The, the ones who influenced me the most. I didn't have um, anyone in my family at that time working in the city or, wow. or lawyers or barristers. My, my family are all working class, factory or office administration. So right. there wasn't a real, there was only um, the opportunity for me to get a good education so I could then go and be something that my parents wanted me to aspire to, a doctor, a lawyer. These are the sort of things that if you're yeah. from a Ghanaian, you, you know yourself, you're Absolutely. from a, a Ghanaian background. Yeah. If you're, all your parents want you to be is doctor, lawyer, um, or failure. lawyer barrister, <laughs> someone someone they can go home back home to and tell everyone yeah. what their son is in London. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, an investment trader is not something that they understand, yeah, even absolutely. though it's a good job. Yeah. They don't understand that, or property developer. It doesn't mean really mean, mean much. They, yeah, absolutely. They need that sort of kudos of having that. He's a Q, QC. He's a um, top solicitor for a law firm. So for me, it was always I didn't have that within yeah. my family, but we were all struck. My parents wanted me to strive to be that. Right. Um, but first and foremost was having the education. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great to know. That's great to know. So another th- another thing I'd like to ask. So you've come. You so you've, you you're in the city, which you still are, but then you've yes. decided to move, or you as as you said, you've got multiple income streams, and you looked at property as being an option for that. How exactly? I mean, what was the inception of looking at property as an investment vehicle? Yeah. And what has your progression been within the property field? Field, okay. So for me, it started with buying my family home off mm-hmm. my parents. That was mm-hmm. the first thing. I, my, my father passed away when I was um, 1920. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just myself, I lived with my mum. She subsequently encouraged me that when I got a job in the city was to buy a property just mm-hmm. to have some sort of grounding. Yeah. So the first thing for me was, well, I live in this house. My mum wants to retire home to Ghana, so let me buy this house. Mm-hmm. So in the late 90s, when the buy-to-let thing happened, I wanted to acquire a property, so I acquired the property in North London, in Green, where yeah. I was brought up. Okay. So that's what I did originally. So mm-hmm. that then got me an interest into the property market. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as working in the city, you always aspire if you're... Um, if you are given a bonus each year or you're, comp- you're compensated for 
your performance. Um, I would see a lot of people around me in higher positions would always invest in a passive income, which was having a property. Mm-hmm. So you would buy your property, put a larger deposit down, mm-hmm. receive a, um, a slow income per month, mm-hmm. or reinvest that back into the property to pay the mortgage off, right, okay. which then gave you another asset. And that's what I saw on a regular basis with my peers. So that's what okay. got me interested in property so, even more. So you, so you'd say it, it was more so um, from your peers and the people that were doing it within the people around me. Yes, we're more doing that in the newspapers and yeah. what you would hear um, here in the newspapers, here around you, and just the talk at that time. It at was time, an exciting yeah. time in the late nineties for buy to lets because the housing market had changed, yeah. and they'd introduced this, and banks were now able to let people buy second homes yeah. and invest in the rental market. Yeah. Before, you needed to be a very wealthy cash-buying landlord prior to that to own those assets in London. Yeah. And now, um, the regular person working in an office could save 10 to 15% deposit of a property mm. uh, and invest into that market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I must say, um, I mean, to, to add to that, um, it's interesting that you should say that you invested in the, uh, or you started the investment, invested in the 90s, because if I'm not mistaken, in the 80s, uh, there was a, a time um, in the 80s and early 90s where a lot of repossessions were actually happening. Um, Absolutely. When I know, was in school, I was hearing of interest rates 15%. Exactly. Which if that happened now, there would be a lot of lands who would just get carried out. Absolutely. They, they just wouldn't survive. Absolutely. Um, but in, with interest rates being low over the past two decades even yeah. more it's a good investment to have and it yields well yeah absolutely absolutely so let's move on from there then you've mm-hmm. got your first you've got your first property you bought your your your, yes. your your family home your mother's home at that time um and uh you still continue to buy properties i take it you're buying buy to lets at, at this particular point in time yes we've we've we acquired additional um, couple of properties with that, but my main goal was to set up a letting property management business and understand yeah. the market even greater. Yeah. So I wanted to have two sides of it. I wanted to manage my own properties, but I also wanted to manage other people's properties as well right. to okay. gain the experience. Yeah. I get a lot of negative feedback from landlords. One of the first things they think is when you see tenants, their eyes roll because if a tenant calls, there's a problem. Yeah, okay. Which, for me, if a tenant calls, it's as I need to find a solution. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I actively encourage a tenant to call me because I treat them as a client. Yeah. And that, that is the, one of the most important things for me. They're, they're yeah. a client, not only just a tenant. Yeah. And so I wanted to get more exposure to that by managing other landlords' properties and mm-hmm. my own. Yeah. So I can then gain a greater experience of that property market yeah i mean it's i mean it's interesting that you should say that because i mean as i said um i've actually you've actually managed some of my properties before yeah and, that's right I have, yeah. <laughs> and uh i one of one of the one of the reasons why i continue to give you my properties was because of your you seem to be very patient when it comes to uh to clients and in relationship that i sort of built up with you i i, I felt that you 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 actually sort of focused on people and actually decided to or maybe maybe you took an interest in actually what people are actually going through before you actually uh, rent out their properties. Because I'm reminded... Look at, their, look at their situation. Yeah, I think Absolutely. that's key. Look at their situation, what they want to achieve. Yeah. Um, you, you need to do an analysis on each landlord. You can't Absolutely. just 
it's not a conveyor belt, I think, and that's why we do a bespoke service. Yeah. I won't just find you a tenant, slot it, get, take commission, go. Yeah. Never hear, near hear from me again. It's a yeah. journey, and, and as you say, you've got tenants that we've placed with you who have been with you for years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's the key is finding the right tenant. It's not always, it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be alive if I said it does, yeah. but it, you, you have to work on that. And that's absolutely. a, a skill set you only get with experience, yeah. I feel. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that's why I wanted to meet multiple landlords so I yeah. can get additional spirit experience from tenants from all walks of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like all things, you actually build a relationship the same the same way you build a relationship with your tenants, you actually have to build a relationship with your with your landlords too, you know. So Agreed. Agreed. yeah, I mean, ab- ab- absolutely, that's always that's always worked out. Um, as far as I'm concerned, with working with you, that's always worked out in your in, in, in your favour because I realise I don't just call you for uh, my property. I'll call you about other things too, because um, you know your input um, um, on, on markets, on where you see the global economy is going, has always been something that I've been. You know, I've been interested in, in, in knowing your viewpoints about And it's good to have that conversation and know views. I, I do like to know the views of what landlords are thinking because they could be contrary, contrary to what I think is happening in the market. Absolutely. There, there's incidences where I can I feel that this would be the best place to invest. A landlord may not agree yeah. um, on their experience, but I feel because I meet multiple landlords, I can get a consensus sort of figure of where I think things are going. Yeah. by speaking to multiple landlords because they all have different walks of life yeah. and have different expenses, different costs, different aspirations. And so you can find the middle ground and, and, and sort of know where the market is going, going yeah. before the landlord does. Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. So um, so moving from uh, managing uh, uh, landlords' properties, I know that mm-hmm. you did go from um, that into development more so yeah. HMOs and yeah. Um, uh, yeah, your own HMOs, and then also managing other people's HMOs. What was that yeah. transition like from going from single let properties to, to to HMO development? I would say daunting, um, absolutely, because it's it's something that I'd never done before. Wow. Um, I had been managing a couple of properties for a landlord in Green Lane, Harringay, which you know this area very well, Kev. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I had there was, in essence, a HMO, um, 600 unrelated people. There yeah. were there was a shared kitchen. There were some ensuite facilities and some of, but the standard wasn't great. And yeah. and I, but what surprised me every time I'd advertise it, it, it was gone. <laughs> and it would all it was just a head scratcher because I had other properties, nice one bed flats, two bed flats, where people would change their mind. Yeah. may not come back, but yeah. then I eventually let. But these individual rooms for the price, which I thought at the time was reasonable, were instantly gone. Every time we, we put them online via um, social media platforms, um, Facebook, or we put them on Gumtree or spareroom.co.uk, that they were gone instantly, and they were really popular. They, were, they ticked all the boxes because they were close to the high street, good shopping facilities, um, close to tube stations into central London and good night bus services as well. And most of the people that worked in in the service industry, hotels, um, part-time jobs or students rented these places. And for, I think, two to three years, I was managing these properties for this landlord and not even 
realizing the potential. I just knew he got good rent, but it didn't cross my mind to invest in it. Right. It's only when I met a builder called George, subsequently for another property landlord who I manage his properties, he was doing an investment in a HMO, yeah. and he didn't know what that was. So I went and had a look. It was in um, Tottenham in um, North London, yeah. and it was a three-bed masonette that had been converted into six units. And the six units were all um, good standard, high-spec, um, integrated wardrobes, all with ensuite bathrooms, but proper ensuite bathrooms, mm -hmm. tiled from floor to ceiling, good fittings. And I, I couldn't believe it when I walked in and I saw a fire alarm panel that serviced the whole area, smoke and heat detectors, um, a communal kitchen, which was separate, as well as the mini kitchenette kitchens they had in some of the rooms, depending on their size specifications. And um, when I walked out, I just thought to myself, this is it. This is what I need to do. Yeah. It, it was it was instant. It was a, a light bulb because the rents went from a regular house of, at the time was 1200 for that three bed. Mm. became 4400 once you converted it into six units, yeah. which is fantastic income. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the key there is you had to have the money to invest in it, yeah. which also ticked the boxes because all property prices had increased at that time. So you had equity in your in your house. Yeah, so you didn't necessarily necessarily have to go and find the money somewhere. You actually had it. It was in the building. Yeah, absolutely. So all you needed to do was do the remortgage. Your rate would still be low and you could develop your house into these six bed units and then start earning a greater income than you was doing before three to four times more yeah absolutely so so you went in so you saw this property uh you realized yeah. it's something that you wanted to do and yeah, then the first you... thing i did was evict my tenants at limited <laughs> avenue first thing i did fair enough it, it, it was a no-brainer it was the first thing i did yeah, I okay. them and i ripped it out i didn't have the funding at the time but yeah. i wanted to rip it out to take it back to brickwork to match with an investor who i who i showed this to who was who had more capital to invest in the property market and wanted to try this. So we went to Gants Hill yep. in East London, which I've never been to um, or, or bought a property in that area, but that's, that's where he was from, mm -hmm. and just did the fact-finding close to station. You had to tick all the boxes that it did in Green Lanes, Haringey, but just on the other side of London, um, yeah. and it ticked every box. So yeah. the house was purchased. Um, with no estate agent because I knew a solicitor who I was renting properties for was looking to sell the house there. So I was the link between that. So it didn't even hit the estate agents. Right. And then we got building control and um, not planning permission because it was at the time in Redbridge, there was no article four. So you had permit, permitted um, development right. rights yeah. to convert into HMO up to six individual people. Right. So we converted it to six. Um, went into the loft, created six units. Landlord started receiving five thousand pound a month. Ten months later, when we completed, <laughs> not and bad. Before he would be renting it for about thousand to twelve hundred a month. So wow. he was he was very excited. So what he did as soon as he had finished it, we bought another one for him, and that's when I went back to Limington to finish mine because I just knew it worked. Yeah. But I took mine, I made it more high tech at my house. I did a basic fit, which we normally do as a standard, and then we do another bespoke level, which I benchmarked at 
my house in North London, and then we now run that as a standard route for all the properties we do now. We're doing one at the moment in Redbridge, wow. where we've got electric gates fitted on the back of the house, oh, and wow. this landlord wants it to another level. So it's um, with this Airbnb and all these other short-term lets, we're finding that there was a lot of people out there who need short-term accommodation for multiple reasons, and, and one of the ones, one of them that's going, which is quite high is the fact that they're redeveloping their house and they need someone else to stay. Yeah, that seems, that to, seems be... to be the number one thing that we're finding at the moment, why you're moving here, because we're doing it, because they haven't got the money to then step up to the next four or five bedroom house. So let's make our own house five bedrooms, yeah. cheaper, yeah. And, then, and, and we can still afford in our budget to live somewhere else while the work is being done and we can be close by and manage it. Absolutely. So we create, within our HMOs, we have one or two units that are short-term for all those type of um, requirements, and this one will be one of those that we'll complete. So that's, so that's your strategy. So let's say you have a, like a six-bedroom HMO, you keep some aside for short-term lets also? Two for short-term, yeah. Oh, right, six, okay. Never used to be like that. Never used to be like that, but it just it happened because we started Airbnb-ing some of these places and then we were not being able to put it back on the market to get a six month tenancy agreement because right. someone else booked it. Right. And then we moved it again. We moved the goalposts each time on the diary with an Airbnb and then someone else books it. Yeah. And if they don't book it, someone else short term where we advertise in the local forums in, yeah. in the local area as well books it. There's always somebody looking for something short term, you'd be surprised at how people fly over here for weddings and need somewhere to stay. That's true. There's people who need the development short term. There's people who are just visiting friends. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So, so now, in the case of your HMOs, are they all based in East London um, and North London? Is that is that is that your your normal majority are North because that's where I started. But now I live in East London. They're more so. East London and going a little bit further out. So we're now in Loughton, oh, right. which is the furthest place okay. I've been. That comes under the Epping County Council. Uh-huh. Um, and we just acquired a property there for a client. And we are about to do the work on that property as well. Right, okay. So so right now, would you say you're doing more stuff for clients as so I take it you're sort of project managing and, and helping to fit out these places? Or is it more so you're doing it for yourself? I would say at the moment, in this, this current, the end of 2019, mm-hmm. beginning of 2020, it's been more for clients. It's oh, been yeah. inundated. I was concentrating on my own between January 2019 up until the end of the year, as it went quiet with landlords who I currently had. Mm-hmm. And then just through marketing online, um, a, a lot of um, blogs, um, posts online, um, a lot of articles I've written yeah. on House of Multiple Occupancies. Yeah. We do a blog monthly and a mini blog as well. We do a lot of social media work showing what we can do. It's grown from there. So all of a sudden, I've just been inundated with people in another area that I've never been to, Harrow, which is oh, wow. a borough okay. I've never been into. But I've had five clients call me because they've seen my stuff online. Oh, wow. So that could be a new area that I'm looking at now in the end of 2020, 2021, right. looking at Harrow. So I will more or less cover North, East and West London. Okay. Never done anything South, but never saying never on that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let me ask you this question. Um, I know that you're doing, so you've been doing that stuff in London, but is there any yeah. talks that you might do any international uh, property related stuff or? 
looking at something in Grenada at the moment where we want to make that into a, a multiple let. So it'd be, be more like the hotel style, okay. but short-term stays. So we're okay. doing that at the moment. That's something that's being acquired and we're going through lawyers to get that completed currently. Yeah. And then the vision and mission mission of the business is to um, to do um, cities around the world um, yeah. where there is a requirement for short-stay accommodation. So, yeah. Is um, there any, any, cities, uh, any cities in particular you're looking at? Or? Yeah, um, Melbourne, um, New York, um, and Czech Republic. So that's oh, wow. a few areas where there's, it's busy, and that's something we, we want to look at further down the line. We, we, I can't just keep myself in London, and you can grow this and have this working for you somewhere else. As long as I've got my systems in place, yeah. I've been to Melbourne five times now, We've done a bit of fact-finding there. It does work. Um, the sterling, although it's weak against other currencies, is strong against the Aussie dollar at the moment. Right. And that gives you better purchasing power for an asset you want there. And it is yeah. a growing economy. So yeah. um, Melbourne is very cosmopolitan. It's like London, and I, I really do like that place. Um, okay. I also look at um, countries further down the line, how I see the vision of this business is to be able to go to countries where we, English isn't the first language, but I can just replicate the model. Yeah. So Buenos Aires is a, another city oh. that we would like oh. to look at at a later date. Um, that really does appeal to me, um, but we haven't done that yet. Sorry, Kim. No, it's fine. Again, it's I need fine. to turn this right. off. So, 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 is it, so I mean, I mean you, you mentioned um, Argentina. Um, yes. Is there any particular reason why you, why you chose Argentina? Is it someone that you because, visited? Um, looking, work, working in it, that, that goes back to me working in the city. I wouldn't have known that if yeah. I hadn't worked in the city, but it's a good base for where migration in South America go to to work. Right. And and so it has a, it's a similar feel and mix to how London would be. Right. So okay. people need short-stay accommodation there, and having spoken to people who I know live there, and I've mentioned what I have in London, and people who have come from South America to stay at a place that I have in London, yeah. so it's exactly the same mix as you have there so there's no reason why we shouldn't be successful there all right okay what about have you have, so, you, have you ever considered anywhere in um in africa at all haven't looked at any models there yet no, no yeah. not something something that i would like to do where yeah. the hmos can work can work in west africa or in ghana yeah. um it's being it's being able to having the, the opportunity to be, have that scalability where i can do that where i can position myself in multiple yeah. places and have projects all working without necessarily having to be there. So working on your business rather than being in the business, although I do like to have some sort of hands-on touch feel to see what's going on on a daily basis, but I shouldn't really be all in in one particular area where I won't be able to grow this business. And so for me, I stay out of it and try and look at it from above and yeah. try and direct, educate, help people within the team make sure they're very clear on what I want and they understand it and then can implement it. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, amazing that you're actually able to do, um, to do so much um, as one person, because I mean, as a trader, I, I take it, you must be working a lot of hours and for you to even... Hours. It starts at, it starts at six, finishes at five. Oh, right. Um, so okay. at 4.30, I'm home by five. So, oh, okay. But, and what helped me when in 2017, I had my first, child my yeah. son joshua mm -hmm. and i was out for 10 months um i took some time off right. and that helped me catch up on all the stuff we've been doing with hmos right. um, before and then i got myself a business coach and that was the best thing i ever did the oh, best right. 
asset in my business. I pay a monthly payment to a business coach that helps me grow my business and I can touch base and have meetings with and basically gave me books to follow. I always thought you know how to run a business, but the, the best way is to have a coach that can structure everything. And one, one of the key things for me was systems and having systems in place helps you immensely on growing a business and understanding that and having that procedure in place that if I'm not here, someone can come and sit down, click on Marika Property and run it. So that takes, me, that, that takes me to something else. So you have a business coach. Yes. So how and did it, you? It was, it was crucial for me to have that. So how did you? How did you establish that you actually needed a business coach? Because I mean, I look at you and I say to myself, "You're pretty successful. You're obviously going in the direction that you want to go." I mean, at what point do you actually think to yourself, "You know what? I need somebody else who can guide me along the way." I needed someone else's eyes on what I was doing. Right. I, I needed someone else to have a look at what I was doing because I felt in some areas. If I lost an opportunity, I wanted to know why. Right. And, and then there's reasons why, when I look back now, I absolutely know why I lost those opportunities. It's nothing to do with me as a person. It was the fact that I didn't have the right procedures in place. You, you take it for granted, some of the things that you do. Um, if things are not documented correctly um, right. or on paper, terms of business are not up to the scratch that the client on the other side expects right. it's having that, that detail um, and one of the key things for me was when I set up my um, contact with my business coach the first thing they wanted me to do was have a vision and mission they wanted to know what my vision was and what my mission is right. and, and why I do this so I had to I had to sit down and think about that because all I was doing before was right I need to do this get a sale move on get a sale move on create this manage this property, receive income, cash flow grows. But yeah. it, it's more than that. It's got to be, it, you've got to really feel it and understand your business and really be passionate about it and be ready to sell it, which yeah, I was absolutely. never, it never even occurred to me. This business coach was, it was always about growing this business so well that someone comes along and says, well, I'm going to buy it. Right, okay. You want to be in that position every time that you are that valuable. Somebody just wants to buy you. Right. Okay. So, 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 so basically, be in that situation where a person can see your real value, pretty much. Yeah, see your real value. Yeah, and I felt it was needed that they need everything has to be structured from the moment you hit your website to your design of your mm -hmm. business card to your terms of business to the first letter you write to a client introducing yourself. All these things are critical, right. and I was given 10 books to read. I've read all those books, and I still read those books every time now, just to remind myself what you want to do and what you want to be and be consistent in that. I, I don't think it's a – I've always wondered how there are other people out there who can just do it yes. without, I'm going to set up a business and do this. But they've all had business coaches. Right. Okay. They've all had some sort of guidance, whether someone in your team – is a very good accountant that can help you structure your business because you've got to have that vision and mission, but you need people to help you get there. Absolutely. So without George, my builder, I would never have got to this HMO level. Yeah, absolutely. So he was crucial in my business. So in so in essence, it's also to do with the team that you're actually working with. The team are important. They're, yeah. they're so important. Yeah. You cannot take them for granted. They are they're, they're crucial in how you 
are perceived outside because they they represent you when they turn up at a house, speak to another client. Predominantly at the moment, I do all the HMOs. So I meet the client, run through all the strategy and the systems and, and, the, and my skill set is knowing about the laws within each local authority and what you can or can't do. Mm-hmm. But eventually I don't want to do that. Someone else should go and do that for me. Okay. okay. Then I can just sit higher up and look at sites. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's interesting. I mean, again, from, from, from what I know of you, you've always, it's always been a case of buying of houses, then um, uh, splitting them up into HMOs. It's, um, always it's always been. Is that, is that what you intend to do going forward or is that's there any what, talk? Yeah, that's what I'll continue doing. I think I'm, of that mindset that I do something that I can do and I know I'm good yes. at it, so yeah. I just keep going doing that. Yes, there's, there are other developers who will like to look at other things and look at land and build some flats. Okay. And I will just continue doing this. If other opportunities come along that are too good not to turn down, I'll be yeah. silly not to have a look at it. But my bread and butter yeah. will be my HMOs. It will be growing portfolios for clients mm-hmm. so building foundations for them and their families yeah and it will be also be building foundations for the tenants who move into these higher-end hmos yeah. with one fixed cost um which gives them the opportunity to then once they've got to a certain stage in their life they can move on to acquire a property or move on to a bigger um property to rent yeah um and then for me we'll be growing them individually in in the background we could probably grow in additional properties within their portfolio. Fair enough. And it will continue to do that, and then it will be passed on. So it will be either someone comes and takes us on, or we will grow that business. But we will look at that every two to three years. What do we want to do? Do we want to sell, or do we want to carry on growing our business? And that's something we have a conversation with right. um, okay. each year. Okay. All right. That, 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 sounds, that sounds like the right way to do it. Yeah, I think so. I think... I think it's always, it's your sort of business. It's your child's like, and you want to see it grow from an infant to a full-grown adult. So yeah. for, for me, I just like to look back where it started, see the business cards that I had before, which I designed myself to then going to a an art design person specifically yeah. to grow, to look at my business. And then gave me a different branding, which makes the other branding I had look ridiculous. <laughs> but that's the, the skill set, the business that's coach. Absolutely. Okay. I, I wouldn't have done that without a business coach. So, so let me ask you this question. So, I mean, again, back to, back to the business coach situation. Mm-hmm. So how do you choose a business coach then? How did you actually go through that process of actually? Um, I looked online basically for, um, I, but for, first of all, I went to my bank. Okay. And if I'm honest, um, the people that work in your business department or a bank have never run a business. So how do they know <laughs> what you are going through, what you are thinking, or the stresses and, and frustrations you have on a daily basis? Yeah. All they can do is provide you fun, um, funding facilities, and they will just look at your bottom line. They won't really want to understand your business, um, whether you're – if I – a cake shop, whether you're a barber's, um, whether you have a bakery or a MOT um, site mm-hmm. – you're all just businesses that they've never run. They've, they've never run them. Yep, but they absolutely. will just provide you money. And if you tick all the boxes, they'll, they'll provide you capital. Yep. So 
my vision for me is when I grow this type of business, I needed someone who understood it. And a business coach for me is the, the right person to help move me forward. So yeah. they they looked at my business, looked at my, my numbers, um, advising where I could save money, cut costs, increase in other parts of the business, which then in turn, which would then give me increased revenue. Again, Douglas, I need to ask this question again. Yeah. So how do you go at selecting a business coach though? Because I understand what the process is. Yeah. So you've gone so online I, and you've found... i got a tangent there, so yeah, I'll ask yeah. that again. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, so um, you've, you've, you've gone to your bank, you've potentially yep. gone online to look for a business coach, but what yep. criteria is it that you actually step through in, this, in saying to yourself, this person can actually teach me something? Or can right. show okay. me what I need to do yeah. to make my business uh, what I it is. I looked at successful businesses who already had business coaches. Bingo. And it was screaming out to me that Action Coach, um, set up by a man called Brad Sugars, right. was the go-to person right. to have a business coach assigned to me. So then you break it down to, how do I know that this business coach is the right person for me? Yeah. But when you look at, Brad Sugar's profile and how he has systems in place to create business coaches that understand any type of business, yeah. any of the ones that he, you could select would all be passionate about moving your business forward because Absolutely. that is what they do. I get it. Their, their skill set and their passion is making your business a better business than it was before they came along where I would initially think, well, this is quite expensive on my costs yeah. because obviously you have to pay them. Absolutely. But eventually, as your business grows, that cost becomes really small because you are growing at a rate, exponential rate, and their cost is still the same. So they're, they're worth their weight in gold. They're not even working in your business. They don't, they're not on the front line. They're not on the shop floor. Mm -hmm. They're just in the background on a phone call conversation that I had with them, which then I pass that message on to people within our team that helps our business grow. So, um, yeah, I think they're vital, Kevin, for me. It, yeah, it doesn't absolutely. work for everyone. There are some people who are very good entrepreneurs yeah. and will just be able to go out there and get it done. Yeah, fair enough. And they may make mistakes along the way, but that will, that's what makes a good entrepreneur. For me, I don't consider myself to be an entrepreneur. I think I'm just more of an opportunist and I have a passion for something that has grown into a business. Yeah. Some people might say, yes, you are entrepreneurial for doing this, but everything out there has, hasn't, it's not new. I've not revolutionized everything. I'm not and reinvented the wheel yeah i'm just providing a service that i know that can fit within that property market there are Absolutely. lots of other landlords out there that do hmos who are talented and, and do lots of really great things out there and that's fantastic yeah. but there's space for this there's space for everyone i get it i get it see i mean it's, it's interesting because um, um i know about people who have coaches but it's yep. always been a case of it normally involves them hunting down someone that they know within their circle that they would um, actually ask to, uh, to to coach them in some way. Or, or, or I came out of my circle. I didn't want someone I knew. <laughs> it had to be someone that knew that could be very blunt, right? And okay. Profile me and give me an honest assessment of myself. I, I need to know. I need to know what I didn't want to hear. Okay. Okay. Well, and that, that's crucial. And that is not nice to hear when, when when you're being told by someone you don't know that you don't do this very well. Absolutely. 
it's an emotional thing because you're running a business and someone come along and says, well, your skill set is not really with um, administration or systems in place. It's weak. You need to concentrate on this skill set. And I can say, well, hang on a second. I'm quite good at that. Well, your disk profiling begs to differ. You are, it's not you. <laughs> um, and then when they explain what you are, the type of person you are, when they profile you, you look at it and you go, that, that is me. That is you, yeah. That is me in other walks of life. There could be things where you're consistent. You like to have, you like to have toast with strawberry jam on one slice and nothing on the others because you're consistent. You like to do that particular thing all the time and that shows in your personality and other things you do. So it's being able to be open to listen to other people and I've always found that important. If I go to to HMO or Lucro Development, there are always people who can have a different opinion to you. Always take that information on. You may not think it's ideal for you, but you might learn something. There's always something you can learn from someone else. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely the way to go. I mean, you've got, you've got two ears for a reason and you've got one mouth for a reason. So being able to absorb, um, what, what people are telling you, not necessarily having to act on it. Um, but yeah. definitely it's, it's definitely a good thing to be able to listen. Listening is definitely a skill that, yeah. uh, um, people need to, people need to build up and make sure that they, they, they have that in order. Um, and it's remembering it. Cause absolutely. you could come back it may not be for you now, yeah. but in a year's time, you might think, well, hang on a sec, I remember having that conversation with somebody. This is the right time to implement that. Yeah, so it's, um, it, it can work for you. And what I do like is the opportunity to meet other people that do HMOs because I don't, when you work doing HMOs, you're too caught up in getting your permissions, planning permissions done, speaking to your business coach, speaking to your clients, and you don't meet other like-minded individuals. Mm-hmm. When you join forums, you can see that there's a lot of people and a, and a huge buzz around HMOs up and down the country yeah. in cities and towns that I would never venture to, mm-hmm. but it works for them down there. And then you have yours in London. So there's opportunities to pick off this and pick ideas off people online yeah. that can help you grow your business as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, back to the HMO piece. I mean, I've seen I've seen some of your 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 HM, HMOs, and I've seen the sort of uh, uh, level of your HMOs. Yeah. Would you say that the market is changing in the sort of quality of HMOs that are actually uh, presented yeah. to an end client? Um, Absolutely. And one hundred percent. And and how do, how do you see it changing over, let's say, the next twelve to eighteen months? I mean, the fact is, is that I mean, off the back of this COVID nineteen situation, a lot of people are working from home now. I'm beginning. Yeah. To, I'm, I'm beginning to feel that people are going to start working from home. How are you yeah. looking to um, change or switch up your business so that it better yeah. reflects the changing environment that we're going yeah. through now? Well, well, I think I'm sort of there already on the ones we do now because we have the we have um, speeded up or increased the broadband that runs through these properties. Oh, okay. um, so you can work from home. We have um, internet ports that you can plug into your in your yeah. rooms. Yeah, um, you're live. You've got the ability to stream stuff through TVs, which we mount on walls, whether it be Netflix or workstations. So we we give you that um, hotel boutique feel, but we give you a business option embedded within that unit so you can do what you need to do. Because as you said, with this COVID-19 pandemic, I'm 
I'm working from home. There's a lot of people working from home and finding out that you actually can do Absolutely. your job quite easily from home, which you never thought you could do before. Absolutely. So there'll be more people doing that. And you only have to see other developers I know who are building at the back of their properties um, uh-huh. units that will be just for work only. So you can actually leave your house, walk down to the end of the garden, have a pod station there, which has Wi-Fi and all your facilities, and then come back home. So I'm prepared for that. Yeah. in terms of style, feel, and what is required to keep those running. Um, that doesn't concern me at all. I just, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for that. Yeah, that, that is okay. not an issue at all. Okay, okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely the way to, to go. I mean, it's interesting because I was having a discussion with someone today, actually, and, we, and, I, was, and I was saying that um, this whole working from home situation brought on by COVID-19 people are soon going to realize that they can, they can live anywhere. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, pe- people seem to gravitate to London, but ordinarily uh, you could be anywhere and you could be anywhere in the UK and do exactly the same thing yeah, that you're doing now. Yeah. You know? I could live, if I was trading, yeah. I could be based in the Isle of, Isle of Man. As long as I've got the, the Wi-Fi and the connectivity, yeah. I can log remotely into uh, PC um, in London or wherever the uh, centre is and, and trade. Yeah, absolutely. And and the likewise with property, I still need I still need to be on the ground in some instances. But having said that, some of the building control people I use now, um, we use a drone to film <laughs> all our still work on the roof, yeah. which films it all. And we also take video pictures and WhatsApp to send to our building control people who are who are accepting that type of stuff even with COVID-19 obviously you don't want to come to some of the sites yeah so before we were sending it and there's no reason why that shouldn't change so they can work from home without having to visit multiple sites which then reduces their cost as well as long as the team that are doing the job can do the job and do it well there's no reason why you can't have a zoom conference in with absolutely. a building control inspector to watch yeah. your work absolutely absolutely Yep, it's definitely going to change. It's definitely going to. Ch- it's basically, this this is basically changing everything. Um, I think there's this, this will change it. Yeah. yeah, and I think what's been good with Rekill HMOs is we've made we we feel that there'll be people able to use their home as their work. So work and home is a good mix to have. Absolutely. I think, and if you can if you can do that, that reduces your travel costs as well. Yeah. So the idea of being close to transport links may not all may not be the deal breaker on on a unit but maybe cheaper to the initial investor when you buy the property maybe an additional mile out from the station because mm-hmm. people now don't really care whether they live near close to a station because they don't travel to work anymore absolutely so if they've absolutely. got that option as well that's another good thing to think about um but there's lots of opportunities out there with with hmos there's always going to be an influx of people into london whether absolutely. they go into working in offices or they work um, from home. But also, once this COVID-19 pandemic does end, where the flattening of the curve happens in the UK, and then you have a decline of cases, and we can go back to normality, the service industry will continue to grow, and London will be a back to being a, um, a centre of of excellence, whether yeah. it be in the hotel business, the investment banking, people will, will sort of gravitate to yeah. the city because this is where the work is. Yeah, absolutely. And so 
HMOs provide that. So let's let me, so uh, which leads on to my next question. So it seems like you've actually you're you're, you're very op- optimistic when it comes to um, London as a city. Yes. Do, do you not do you not worry about Brexit actually having an impact on on London? Um, in terms of like migration, yeah. In the case of yeah, exactly leaving up sticks, absolutely. Well, they've, they've offered opportunities for people to, if they've lived there for a certain amount of years, to give them not permanent stay, but a visa of some sort where they can be a resident in mm-hmm. the UK. Um, I still think movement travel will still will be an issue. I absolutely understand that, but there are so many people in London currently who are here, and so many services that are required for London to grow. People still travel into London. Yeah, People still true. come here and the, and the economy is grow, will grow in London, I feel. Yeah. I just think that it's just there's still a great city yeah. to do any type of investment. Yeah. And with interest rates low as well, that gives purchasing power for investors as well who want to do buy-to-lets or do other developments where yeah. the costs are low. And there's still people migrating to this country, even whether it's not from Europe, it's from other parts of the world as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think I agree with you um, on on that point. Now, my next question is um, again in the case of HMOs, which is your main area of focus. I think that yeah. a lot of people they're challenged. I mean, you've got like um, people who have like uh, single unit properties. Yep. Or houses that they that that, that they currently own, mm-hmm. um, and one of the big challenges that a lot of people experience is being able to move from that single let situation, sort of a yep. landlord by uh, by exception, or uh, became a landlord uh, by chance, to like actually yeah, yeah exactly okay. now moving into a more go, going into a more uh, strategy focused moving from that into a HMO um, uh, perspective. How how do you how do you transition from from being a single land a single property landlord to a yep. to a HMO landlord because that's one of the big challenges that I think that a lot of people yeah, actually experience. Yeah, you need to make that leap. Yeah, you have to make that leap. But before you make that leap, get to speak to the right people and do do your research. Yeah. Um, if you happen to know me, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't use me, I can give you the information. I'm happily really give you the information that yeah. you need to know and point you in the right direction. Yeah. If you don't use me, then that, that, that's, that is your choice yeah. because at the end of the day, you do have a choice and you can go to multiple people to do HMOs. Just that if you do choose weaker property, we, we're tried and tested. We've, we've done this. We're yeah. 23 in and we're doing three more um, in the pipeline. So we know how these work in all boroughs and we know how to do to do the development on them yeah but if you if you don't choose us as long as you've got your research in place and you've done that your next step is your funding for your finance so you have you have multiple options you don't have to do the type of hmo that we currently do where we provide all suites in all rooms some kitchen facilities communal kitchen loft conversion and extension single and double we try to create as much space as as possible but you can also do the conventional HMO where you just room share where you have five rooms and provide two to three separate bathrooms yeah. in the house which mm-hmm. are shared and a communication so in essence a residential house with minimal cost in terms of developing it and then putting a bit of TLC on the decor Absolutely. to make it enticing for people to come in to rent those type of rooms who are happy to share ensuites. but just in my opinion 
since 2010, every time I've done a roulette, and I've done must be thousands of of, of viewings now mm-hmm. between myself and and my team. Yeah, they've always said when you've had rooms, they always ask if you've got ensuite. People prefer to have their own ensuite than not. Right. Okay. In, in my opinion, if you had that choice, two rooms and they're pretty much marketed around the same sort of price, and one has an ensuite, you'll take the one with the ensuite. Okay. okay. Why would you want to share when you can have your own? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, for me, that is, there's your options. So you have different types of HMOs you can have. You can have your um, standard rooms, um, communal bathroom facilities, mm-hmm. or develop it into that it looks like a HMO where it's very separated. Yeah. Where all the rooms are independent of each other. There is a communal kitchen, but most of the rooms have their own stroke kitchen facilities mm. as well. Is it, it is looks it, more. Is, sorry, let me ask this question. Is, is it... Yeah. Would you say that a kitchen having a having a having a kitchen inside a unit is is a, is a deal breaker or this the shared no, kitchen approach? It's, that's not a deal breaker. The ensuite, I think, is yeah. the the kitchen facilities in the room is not a deal breaker. Right. But if you if you can separate it, so you've got we've done a few HMOs now where we've we've created the space that you can have you go into the room and then there's two doors within that room. One yeah. takes you into an ensuite. One takes you into a small kitchen area. Right. That's a deal breaker for me if the price is around the same. You right. don't have to go anywhere else. You can use the community kitchen, but you've got your own space, mm-hmm. which is what, what you want. Yeah. Um, I Absolutely. think for most tenants is yeah. having as many facilities as possible with a competitive price fixed that covers all bases for them. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. I think, I think the audience would, uh, yeah, definitely takes, uh, take a note of these um these nuggets that have come from someone who's been in the industry for for a while yeah there's, there's there's lots of things you could do lots of ideas but i would say join um multiple hmo forums right, and okay. just see the ideas that are being posted up and down the country you, you'll be surprised how many people do this yeah it's yeah. i when, when you feel that you are the only person doing it and you want to know if someone else is doing it you only have to join a forum and you'll see there are Thousands, thousands of landlords yeah. that out there who do this, they do, this. do it at all different levels all have different opinions on what they think of tenants and not think of tenants and the business in general yeah but within that there are some good ones in there who will happily help guide hold hand hold your hand provide you all the information you need um including myself on you making that next step yeah absolutely absolutely okay and, and also one of the other things is Sorry to stop you there, Kevin, is the funding. Funding is really important for any of these developments. Yep. It's not a few hundred quid to develop it. If you want to do a HMO properly, you need to spend some money. Yeah. So your options are um, banks, if they're provided for you, but I always feel there should be equity in the house. If you're an accidental landlord yep. and you've got a property already and you are working, or, or maybe you're not working, using it as an income, You've got equity to take out of that house that can then do that development for you. Absolutely. And if you structure it in the current environment with rates low, it will hardly move the mortgage payment, the dial on your mortgage payments. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Get that funding in place. It will. It will change everything. Um, I've seen too many. I've seen too many landlords who I've developed for, who have done this, and it has changed the basis for them. They don't work anymore, or they do something else. Yeah. Fair giving enough. you options. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it goes back to my vision and mission, building foundations for people and clients. And this is what happens. 
once you do that, I create that building, that landlord lifestyle changes, family changes. It's, um, he may use the money to fund better holidays, better lifestyle, give up work, reduce his hours of work for better quality of life. Absolutely. People that move into those places have a better quality of living accommodation than they would have done elsewhere. It, 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 there's ripples within that, and it just changes multiple things for people. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But if you can get the funding from the property, that is the best way forward. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I think um, I think you've answered all my questions, to be honest. Okay. Um, thank you for uh, for your time. Um, and uh, as, as I... Uh, well, sorry. Well, what I would say is, um, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, the company's Rika Properties... Yeah. Um, the name's Douglas. Management. You can Douglas Photo, Rita Property Management. You can um, get me on Twitter. Um, we're on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Yeah. Um, you can contact me via the website. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of short uh, animation videos explaining what HMOs do. You can get us on YouTube where you can see some of the developments we've done. Yeah. Um, there's, there's multiple things, but by all means, get in touch. I'm happy to share information. Um, I'm not holding it, keeping it under the drawer. I'm not letting anyone see it. There's <laughs> enough out there for everyone, and everyone has a different view and wants to do it slightly differently, but I'm just happy to help. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't charge you for it. You want to ask me a question, I'll, I'll give you an answer. If you don't like it, then it may not be for you, but I will try and be as honest as I can and act with integrity when I give you any information regarding HMOs because I'm passionate about it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much, Douglas, for your time today. And, okay. um, yeah, we'll catch up on the flip side. Okay. Cheers, mate. Okay.